you're not hearing the intro right now, which you know what that means. We had breaking news come out after, of course, we finished recording an entire podcast. But two. A two, yes, because um, shameless plug, SEC Championship video and SEC Championship podcast will be out this week. Stand look out for that. Why are we talking to you right now? Gus Melzon is finally fired at Auburn. I say finally because when someone's been on the hot seat for that long, finally deserves. It's like you know the person that you, that's in that on again, off again relationship. Yeah. And you just think you're, that they're going to be together forever, and instead Auburn twenty one million dollars for Gus Malzahn to finally not work for them, and I'm 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 very surprised. I'm very surprised. Um, what did I tell you a couple weeks ago about money in the SEC? Not a thing. Yeah, I, well, I, I am still so, like very surprised as well. Like I was, like shocked. Like I mean, like not trying to make a joke about the other stuff that happened last night, but like almost as much as the the Florida shoe thing. Because I was like, wait, what? Like, like we see this video of him dancing last night. That's gonna be cold takes in the other podcast. Oh um, yeah, when you get to that part in the podcast, <laughs> just know that we obviously did not know that information about Gus Malzahn, and that yeah. that is that is certainly part of this whole deal of why why the surprise. It, <laughs> Why the surprise came on Sunday, the timing and everything before early signing period and all that, I get it. Still stunning to see a team fork over $21 million in the midst of a pandemic in which there's budget budget cuts across the country. Yeah, and also, you know, um, to do that with uh, the season, like it wasn't a great season, but it wasn't necessarily like the worst season and so it was it was kind of surprising because like i mean again dancing last night like i know he had some some comments last week that were not perceived or received very well but like his record against saban is better than any other coach in the sec his record uh, you know against other sec teams against top 25 teams it's top four and five with everyone so i'm I'm still kind of i'm still very surprised like he, he hasn't been great but i feel like the measuring stick that he was unfairly given is like a lot of coaches in the SEC compared to Saban. And he has it worse than most because he's an in-state rival that he's not going to out-recruit him, all that kind of stuff. But still, to get rid of him, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm shocked. Like, I thought it would be something way more egregious or a way, like a much worse season than this. Willie Taggart was given a buyout north of $20 million because Willie Taggart was not a fit at Florida State. And they recognized that and they cut bait. Gus Malzahn was in a very different situation, of course. This, this is year eight on the planes, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. Year eight, and part of it, because we can do the back and forth thing all day. I mean, you've been able to do that with Malzahn for the past however many years, where there's yeah. the pro-Malzahn crowd and the anti-Malzahn crowd. The optics of Saturday could have played a part in this. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe this decision was made by Alan Green and the powers that be a long time ago. Maybe it was. Maybe it was Alabama. Maybe it was Alabama putting them in a very tough spot to say, look, you're not even close to this level. You're not even close. And it doesn't even you matter that you got a year two quarterback. I know, but this this Alabama team, which is the gold standard in college football, right. Yeah. So I wonder about that. I wonder about the fact that this is year two with Bo Nix. This is the number 87 offense in the country. This is yeah. a coach who is celebrating six and four by dancing the way that he did, like like I said, like I, I I'm I'm not. You're gonna get to this part later in the podcast where we talk about the dancing and all that. But where six and four is being celebrated or called a solid season, that has implications that I think we we kind of joke around about. But right. there are serious 
there are serious things that that power brokers discuss about hey what are we doing here if that's deemed if that's what he thinks is good here and, and there's no there's no group of more powerful there's no group of more powerful and also like power hungry um you know like like winning like starved for winning than boosters in the sec and i tell you what man the the watching an auburn Watch an Auburn uh, head coaching search is fascinating. It is fascinating because just flat out, you know, I think they're like further removed from this, but it's shocking that a guy like Gene Chizik, as much as we love him, would have been hired for a 5-19 and season. There have been powers that be running Auburn's program for a long time. I don't know if they still are. Bobby Louder is not anymore. His bank failed. But those are all very real things that were in place for a very long time. It's going to be fun to watch what, what happens here. What I don't understand is... If you're gonna hate on him for dancing after a, a, a you know a six and four season after beating you know like a terrible team, I just don't view it that way. I feel like it's very unfair to to view it yeah. that way if, because what he was doing was celebrating a win in the last game of the year with some right. of his seniors and, and and guys who had a great day like talk about Big Cat and those guys graduating in the morning like on the road all that kind of stuff. I just he did everything you would almost think was was the right move this year. He he relinquished control of the play calling to to Chad Morris. He like I mean he did mm. all the things he said he was going to do, and you wonder if that cost him because because I thought that was a very mature and selfless move from him, and I wonder if if, if that cost him as well. And yeah, I mean I I don't know. I'm I'm still very 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 surprised. Four things not working in his favor. Well, let me read this first. So since that magical 2013 season, of course, where he sets. One of the, basically the highest possible bar you can set for yourself as a yeah. year one head coach who takes over a program that didn't win a game in the SEC and you go to the national championship. It's as atypical as it gets in college football. Yeah. His offenses, scoring offenses, yearly ranks after that. 2014, number 27 oh. offense. 2015, number 75. 2016, number 49. 2017, number 27. Number 2018, he's number 48 in the country. 2019 last year, he had the number 28 offense in the country. And this year, of course... Number 87. The problem. Never had a top 25 offense during that stretch. He never had consecutive top 40 offenses in that stretch. He had ne- he never had a quarterback who had more than 20 touchdown passes in a season, and he scored 24 points in consecutive Iron Bowls. Uh, never. That's, that's the problem, and that's why there's this back and forth all the time with Gus. Yeah, but... He beat Bama two of the past three years. I'm sorry, in two of the last four years. I, like, like I, I've told you before, Bill Curry, fantastic guy, great coach. Bama was number two in the country in 1989. They lost at Auburn, first time they ever played at Jordan-Hare. They backed up a moving truck in front of his house, and he was fired immediately because he was 0-3 against Auburn. Gus hasn't been, like, I mean, he got a skull dragged by Bama. I, I get it, but, like, he just beat him. He had just beaten him. I get it. Look, I think that you don't make a move like this unless you have somebody waiting in the wings. Yeah. To say to we're we're pivoting, we're moving in a different direction, and we feel really good about the person that we're going to have take over when you pay twenty one million dollars for somebody not yeah. to work. The candidate list. It's fascinating. This Gosh, is- I love an Auburn coaching search. I really do. Because as you said, you don't know what, what it can go. But if we're guessing it, if we're kind of looking at the main candidates here, I said it was South Carolina. I think it applies even more to Auburn. So that's up for Hugh Freeze. Yeah. 
in many, many ways. And I'll be surprised if there isn't a significant push on the Auburn side to make that happen. If you're talking about coaches who have multiple wins against Saban, he, of course, has done that. We've talked about that a couple times. If you're talking about somebody who has shown that he can score in the SEC, which in 2020, that's what you need to be able to do. Hugh Freeze has done that. If you're talking about somebody who the fan base would get super fired up about, who would be able to recruit in a heartbeat, it's Hugh Freeze. And I I know there are other candidates. Mario Cristobal is one of them. Billy Napier's name keeps getting thrown out there. You you know, you're going to look down the line. I'm I'm not a believer that a Scott Satterfield is going to come on board, but that would be, that would, in a way, that would be a Chiswick like hire at this point, though. Yeah, I mean, but Chiswick was 5 19. Anyway. I, it's not going to be a coordinator. Like, like I'm looking at a list right now from Athlon. It's like, like Bill Clark, his name, I guess it's fine that it's on there. But Tony Elliott, like both coordinators at Clemson, basically, right? Um, obviously, Billy Napier, whose name's like been you know, brought up with everything. Steve Sarkeesian, which I think is interesting. I'll tell you one that's more interesting than all of those. And, and if you think that Auburn wouldn't, wouldn't just like dump just all sorts of money in front of this if they can make it happen, Lane Kiffin. Yep. I, and that that, I, that sounds crazy because he's in year one at Ole Miss. If you think it's crazy, how did Tommy Tuberville get there? You know, I was talking with somebody a couple months ago who knows Ole Miss really, really well. Yeah. Really, really well. And he's saying, you know, I get it. I get what Lane's trying to do. And I get that it's a pandemic. And I get there are financial limitations. But if the Lane's Auburn thing happens, I won't be surprised. Now, this yeah. is... Before Auburn finished the year the way that it did, it had started off a little bit better. Um, but still, I, I heard that and I was like, I'm going to file that one. But at the same time, that would stun me if Lane went one and done at another SEC program. I don't, it wouldn't stun me at all. At, at the time. He has that kind of personality. He does. He definitely does. If, if you're looking for the biggest possible shakeup, that, that, I think, is it. I think Hugh Freeze coming back to this conference would be fascinating. I think it would be a really, really interesting hire that I wouldn't necessarily hate, despite the, the baggage that he has, if you're willing to take that on, take on the, yeah. whatever PR hit you have. I, I just think the Auburn job is so unique. I mean, is it the most unique job in the country? It's up there. I don't know if it's a, that's an odd way to phrase it, I would think. But, I mean... Yeah, it's it's I don't know. I mean, it's not the most unique job in the country, I don't think, but it is it, like there's just so many different things that like not as much anymore. I think Malzahn was kind of like he broke the mold with like what they used to do and they got some of those guys out of place, but like Jimmy Rain, Yellowwood guy, the guy who runs Victoryland, all of those things are in place and it was they were in place like a decade ago. So, yeah, it's very unique and I tell you what, what's going to be real fun too is the the money on the buyout, I would love to see the actual fine print on that that contract because there are some incredible stories about about some of the agreements that were made from from former coaches as they left, especially in the SEC. And, and nowadays, when everybody knows everybody and you've all coached each other's staff, I, I wonder what that's going to entail as well. Half of that is apparently due within thirty days. So shut up. Yeah, that's um... half of the twenty-one billion. Yep. Good for you, Gus. Good for you, Gus. It's. One of these searches that is going to captivate us, if Auburn yeah. is already locked in on that candidate, and if it is Hugh Freeze, I won't be incredibly surprised. Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon, though, is 
It makes sense. It definitely makes sense given his uh, given his roots in the state of Alabama and what he's been able to build at Oregon. I think people look at that and say that that's a guy who has has really done a remarkable job at a Power Five program that hasn't always been a sure thing. I think we kind of take that for granted with the Chip Kelly era, but what he's right. been able to do is to sustain success there. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I didn't I don't see this coming. Mario. I, I wouldn't think it's. I don't think it's gonna be Mario. I, I think it's gonna be somebody like Lane, or like like Hugh Freeze, because it's gonna it's gonna be centered around beating Alabama. I just can't imagine it's a coordinator. I agree with you, hundred percent. Like I, I see some joke names. a couple weeks ago that it was gonna be they were gonna get Hugh Freeze. I, like just just like purely as a joke, because I didn't think it was gonna happen. Unless it's Sark. Are. Unless it's Sark. That's the only coordinator I could see Auburn legitimately going after. And then there's there's a domino effect. Does this impact Tennessee as well? Does this impact Tennessee to pull the plug on Jeremy Pruitt? I hope Auburn hires Jeremy Pruitt. We're going to have a lot more talk about Auburn moving forward, what this coaching search becomes, um, and who succeeds. Wait, Chad Morris. We didn't didn't even bring him up. Gosh. You knew it was bad when, when Gus hitched his wagon to Chad Morris, right? That was so dumb. When even Chizik is saying, man, I'm worried. I'm worried about my buddy. That's not good. That's not good. No, it's not. Um, but yeah, so um, hopefully people listen to the rest of the podcast that we talk about Auburn with a little bit of green salt. But yeah. here is the rest of a very interesting podcast. Hello and welcome to the Saturday Outside Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor Gura. Marler. Today's college football slate is pretty bleak. Let's just get to the end. He is the worst. That's the first thing I saw when I got on Twitter yesterday. Was Dan Wolken already complaining. And like, it, it ended up being beautiful for everyone because who doesn't love a college football Saturday where he gets uh, cold takes, which is great. But yeah, that was. I mean, that yesterday was. Well, it had a phenomenal ending. I'll say that. What a wild day it turned out to be where we have a team lose its playoff chances because of a thrown shoe. We had the first woman to score a point in Power 5 history. And oh, by the way, just in case that wasn't enough, Butch Jones got an FBS head That's coaching right. job. What? I mean, what? I just this, the coaching turnover under Saban is always a problem. I don't know how Bama's going to recover from this. <laughs> I, honestly, I will say that I'm... We I, we give him hell all the time because it's Butch Jones and he's like you know an easy target and all that kind of stuff, but really couldn't be happier for him from like everything that Saban has said and and you know I, like I know a lot of stuff that is coach speak but at the same time I don't think Saban would go out of his way to praise and uh, not an intern but like analyst. Well, he, apparently he's been a great well, addition to the staff. So yeah, just kept his head down like any good intern should, right? Mm-hmm. Just go to work and and do do the grunt stuff and do what's asked and good for Butch Jones. Yeah. We are not going to talk a lot about Butch Jones today. We'll talk a little bit about the the team that he once coached, of course, at the very end. So much, so, so much to get to. Gosh, I cannot stop thinking about what happened with LSU in Florida. I have a lot of talk related to that. Alabama rolling against Arkansas, Georgia, giving its fans a little tease for the hype train for 2021. We've got even Auburn and Mississippi State getting into a rock fight that Tom Hart had to witness. Felt really bad for him. So, so many things to get to today. But Marler, before we do all of that, yesterday had a little delayed lunch. 
Still made sure to get in my daily Texas Pete. Had me some Texas Pete wing sauce. If you didn't have some Texas Pete on your Saturday, maybe it was pretty bleak. And maybe you did just want to get to the end. But I, my friend, did not. I looked forward to that. And I appreciated every last bite. I I think that's the ad read. I mean, that's, yeah, I would agree. (laughs) There you go. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like we do this every week. It's always, like, probably super long because, you know, the, the intro is just as good as the actual ad read. So, yeah, go get some Texas Pete. Throw it on a sandwich, throw it on a, you know, uh, your eggs, throw it on whatever. Just don't throw a shoe. Just don't throw a shoe. Move over Elijah Moore because there is a new most infamous, uh, I think we can call it a celebration. It's not a touchdown celebration per se, but it was celebrating a three and out. In case you somehow missed a moment that broke the internet. And, and you know, we throw that term around a little bit too loosely, I think in 2020, mm-hmm. but my goodness gracious. Marco Wilson throwing a shoe to force a or to, to, to prompt an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty keeps LSU's drive alive, allows LSU, Cade York, 57 yarder, game winning field goal. Everybody knows this by now. Florida loses its playoff chances and it stems from a player throwing a shoe. I like, I'm still like in shock a little bit of what happened. I it, I can't imagine if this happened to my team. I like and like I, I feel bad because I know Florida fans have to be devastated. It, it's you know it, it sucks all that good stuff. I, I would be absolutely devastated if this happened. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine what was going through his head. I can't imagine why you would ever do that. I can't like I, I <laughs> the whole thing. It was so 2020. It was it was so like SEC. It, he threw like, it 20 was, yards too, which is peak 2020. You know, according I, to the ref. I think that that was the the call itself was better than oh anything. I, I was dying, but like, you know, like that everything about that game was incredible. It was the best game of the year. I, I know I said that last week about A um, and M Auburn. This was hands down the best game of the year, back and forth the entire time. And you kept thinking Florida was gonna you know pull ahead and pull away, and at some point LSU would would you know kind of roll over and die. But everything the call, the shoe throw, the fresh, the true freshman on the road in Gainesville, Kadarius Tony going off. The fact that not the only did he fog? hit a the fog, like what in the fog is going on here? And then you have you have a 57-yard field goal from, which is the longest field goal in LSU history, and then a missed, barely missed 51-yard field goal from like one of the most reliable kickers, if not the most reliable kicker in the country. You have a you you lost a Heisman, you lost a national championship, you you lost, and then Dan Mullen, petty Dan Mullen in the in the post game. Oh, we'll get I to that. I love a we'll good petty Dan that. Mullen. We'll get to that. This was one of those moments, like we talked about with Elijah Moore last year, where if you're watching this and you see this happen, and it's a little bit different because because of the fog in that they were doing the the sky cam, right? Yeah. So that in itself was sort of strange. And as this is happening, and you're looking through and watching what's happening through a haze, right when he throws, right when Marco Wilson throws that shoe, I said, oh my God. And I said out loud to Lauren, Florida's about to lose its playoff shot because Marco Wilson just tossed a shoe. And they were trying to figure it out on the broadcast because poor Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge can't see a freaking thing from where they were. (laughs) And they're they're like still trying to figure out what's going on. And little did (laughs) they know. Todd McShay comes in. And he's like, Marco Wilson just threw a shoe. I saw a cleat flying through the fog. I I, like like it was effing Rudolph. I was I was dying. Like, I mean, I, I I think he I think he threw a shoe and then he comes in and says I saw a cleat flying through the fog the fog oh, oh my god who throws a shoe honestly I mean I was that, so bummed that that 
uh, Clay Travis came up with the LSU thing. God, I was. Well, I'm oh, assuming I don't. He came up with it. I muted him. I muted him and Dan Wolken a long time ago. So Smart that's move. yeah, um, just better in my life to be able to yep. do that. To be fair, to be perfectly fair, Florida obviously made a ton of mistakes in this game. Now, this is a game in which Kyle Trask had three turnovers. And we're going to praise LSU. Don't worry, LSU fans. Oh, yeah. Forcing Kyle Trask into those spots and being able to get pressure on him in a game in which they didn't have Kyle Pitts, a bizarre thing in itself, especially afterwards when he tweets dot, 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 dot. Really, really strange all around to see this LSU defense show up and, and force Florida into those spots where it was uncomfortable. And that was a game that Florida never truly got settled in in the way no. that you thought they would in the way that they have. But let, can I first just tip my cap to LSU? Because there's going to be so many people that are going to talk about the Florida stuff, and we're going to talk more big picture stuff with Florida as well. But what a showing for LSU. Yeah. Down to 54 scholarship players. As you said, true freshman starting quarterback, Max Johnson, son of Brad Johnson, who they showed about 1,500 times. No Derek Stingley. No Eric Gilbert. No problem. It's the most gritty effort of LSU's 2020 season. It's not even close. You can and, argue it's the most gritty effort, the, the grittiest effort they've had since maybe Texas of last year. Because, like, most maybe. of those games they had last year, they, they those were blowouts. Like, they didn't have, like... I know the Auburn game was quote-unquote close. That was a grinder. Gritty yeah. and grinder are two different things. Right. So, I I, I mean, it was – like, it, it says so much about that program, and I, I – you'll see it in Sunday Apologies. I have so much to apologize for for that team. Like, what I, th I thought would have given up, like, I could – and honestly, at this point, at this point, could have easily understood why. And – you just got your brains beat in last week, and you're yep. going into assumingly do the, like have the same thing happen to you on the road. Like you said, like missing half your team, and you come out and have the best performance of your season with a true freshman quarterback. Yeah, and that was the thing I wondered about, and I said coming into this, I don't get me wrong, I was wrong on this game. I picked yeah. Florida to cover. I said Dan Mullen versus Bo Pelini. Sign me up for Dan Mullen to win that day. matchup ten times out of ten. But the one thing I said coming into this, Florida has been getting off to these slow starts. Mm -hmm. If LSU can just taste that. Just taste it a little bit to where they don't get punched in the mouth in the beginning and have a reason to give up early in this game. That changes things because you know that there's still talent. And while that talent is young and it's so much different than what we saw last year, it is still a talented group nonetheless. And you saw them start to believe. And that, I thought, was the difference in that game. And the longer, yeah. they, the longer they hung around, the more they realized, man, who cares? We're three and five. Let's let it fly. Max Johnson was making some throws in some spots where he's like, yeah, I'm going to get demolished. I'm still going to be able to get it to the outside. Marco Wilson, who had an awful ending that he's going to have to live, live down for the rest of his life, had moments in that game where he was like on the other side of the field, 15 yards away from the dude he was supposed to be guarding. And that, that was the stuff that like leading up to that moment where you're just like, oh, LSU's doing some things that they haven't really done all oh, year. Credit Steve right. Ensminger, too, for calling that game. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I, and I tell you what. I mean, oh God, there's just so many. There's so many reasons I think that that Florida, you know, lost this game. But like, yeah, what you said, like a lot of this, the credit does go to LSU. I mean, like the 57-yard field goal thing is is just it's a bomb into the, the fog like that. Unreal, unbelievable. The, the combination of that and the true freshman quarterback on the road it, it was just it, it. It's mind blowing to me. Like like, and not enough is going to be made about it because of what happened with the Florida, like with like Florida throwing a shoe and you know and maybe that's probably wrong because that is obviously the highlight of the game it is just flat out right but 
at the same time, I, I hated what Mullen said afterwards. He's like, you know, we, we, we had a, we stopped him to get the game winning driver. Like, we, you know, we were set up to, to go win the game. And I was like, what, what makes you think that all of a sudden, like you guys were just going to pour it on. And they, they had been doing really well, like late in the third and fourth quarter. But I'd tell you what it did for me, and I hate to pile on because fans fans do this a lot, and I know we were quick to react, but Todd Grantham. Todd Grantham with expectations is not great. Dan Mullen defended him afterwards. He I'm said sure that he loss. Did. He said that loss was on the offense, which if you're a Florida fan, you know, keeping your fingers crossed that Todd Grantham is going to be gone. You saw one too many corner blitzes with safeties over the top, like Sean Davis being exposed. By the way, if they do that against Alabama, if they do that against Devontae Smith and Mac Jones, Mac Jones is the best of the country at recognizing a corner blitz and realizing that he can just have a go route for his right. guy who blitzes, and they're going to beat that over that single high safety every single time when they do that. And Florida, for whatever reason, kept trying to do that against LSU, and Over. it just wasn't working. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Not, just got... one, not one corner blitz. They blitzed two corners at one point, which is like, yeah. listen, Todd Grantham knows more about defense than I do. I, I, I have no qualms with that. But when you blitz two guys that are, like, just looking at the actual field, the furthest away from getting to the quarterback, it's going to take the longest route because your safeties are coming. Like, they're down, like, not in the box, but, like, basically right in the box. And they're the ones that have to go fill that gap and fill that no void. No chance. Like, what they are y'all? No chance. There was there were so many plays and so many like like blitz blitz schemes and designs. And I was like, what the hell is Grantham doing? Like like, and by all intents and purposes, you had every all you had to do is coast. All, all you, like there's no excuse for this loss for Florida, and it's None. hilarious to be honest because like you know of all the trash talk that's been going on, and my God, Georgia Twitter came back to life, and this is just everything cow. circle of life, man. Uh, it just it was it was incredible to watch like the whole theater of it, but. Todd Grantham absolutely should be blamed for this loss. But outside of him, you also have to put it on Dan Mullen because I think we saw, and I'll speak strictly from, from him versus a Saban thing, we saw the difference between two, um, the, uh, like it's a testament to two programs, right? When you're on the one-yard line, we saw it in the Bama game because people were hating on Mac. I even said, like, you know, I, I assumed that Trask was going to just extend the hell out of that Heisman lead going, like with Mac that throwing a touchdown pass in the morning, then going into a night game against the worst defense, you know, secondary we've seen at times this year, at home, all that stuff, and and then you end up like like you look at Mac on the one yard line, he's under center, handing off to Najee Harris. Our backup running back had three touchdowns. You know what I mean? Like it, like so, I don't understand why on the one yard line, if you're Dan Mullen, why are you in shotgun? Why are you doing RPO jump pass like jump slant route passes? Like what? Dan Mullen got stop getting cute. so cute. Dan Mullen got way too cute in this game. And um, I think not having Kyle Pitts in the red zone hurt. It hurt that team. That is another thing. That, that, that situation was bizarre because we didn't really find out until the game started, oh, by the way, Kyle Pitts isn't going to be playing. And I was kind of wondering in the pregame, because if you watched him warm up in the pregame and some of the clips that they were showing, he he's wearing glasses. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. Kyle Pitts isn't playing, is he? Because if he's wearing glasses, I mean, I'm wearing glasses right now. I'm in no shape to play a football game right now. That that in itself is always going to be a what if, I think, for Florida fans. And not like, hey, if Kyle Pitts plays in this game, does Florida win this game? Does Florida win a national championship? Like all those things. Florida has issues. Florida is an imperfect yeah. team that did not play a complete game once again, and it finally came back to bite him. But the Kyle Pitts thing, he had apparently a lingering issue from the Tennessee game, and they wanted to get him healthy. If Florida wins that game by 28, we're praising this move. We're saying this is perfectly oh, fine. Down. They're, this is smart. What are they going to do next week against Bama with leading yeah. half Look at the offense. Boom. You didn't have to have that extra film on him. You, you get to save your best player. Awesome. Great smart move. 
And Kadarius Tony went off. Don't get me wrong. That dude did oh everything God. in his power to try and give Florida that possible boost. But it blew up in Dan Mullen's face. And if this is one of those things where it's like, hey, and we'll, maybe we're going to find out more about this. Maybe there will be more known about this by the time it comes out. But seeing Kyle Pitts tweet that afterwards suggested that this was not his decision. And no. I don't mean to put two and two together. But if that's something that's going to sit on your conscience, it's like the, the, the guy, you know, we can take the Major League Baseball. The Rays manager pulls his starter. When, you know, it's the sixth inning and he's cruising. But yeah. because of the numbers and because this, this, and this, you said this was going to be the smart play. You, you overthought it a little bit here. Right. You overthought it and you didn't have your best player on the field when you ultimately needed him. And you shouldn't have needed him necessarily to win that game. But when you lose, yeah, that's something that we're always going to talk about. I don't think he overthought it. I think he got so arrogant. I think Florida fans and, and coaches and, and, and the team, and, and honestly... I understand why, and I would say with good reason, but we know how it, how it turned out. And, and listen, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Totally get that. Doring said it last night. It, it was like, if this was to clinch the SEC championship, he would have played. Or SEC East, like, he would have played. I, I get the under. I, I get what you're doing, but Jesus Christ, man. Like, like pull a Superman. Go in halftime. Go into a phone booth. Go Take to the off the glasses. Yeah. Clark Kent. Your, yep. pads. I mean, I played baseball in high school with glasses, and then... I mean, but yeah. I oh, we've played, seen, we've seen. But yeah, I would not have played football with with glasses on. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it was it was really surprising because I I just what it said to me was not you overthought it. It said you are so overconfident going into this mm. game that you think this is not going to be like a, a difficult game. It's not going to be a difficult matchup for you. You don't need your best player to play. Like you're going to rest him for what? And I I didn't really understand. I, I, I didn't really understand it. And, and I think that, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but that's what it said to me. Because th- just just watching him going throughout the season, who they were playing, like the, like the, the not pulse of the fan base, but like the mindset and, and confidence of the fan base was very overconfident. Two things I want to hit on here, and we'll put a bow on this game. Dan oh, no, we have a lot more to talk about. We, we do have a lot more to talk about, and this will kind of get into a lot of it. But Dan Mullen and Kyle Trask. Dan Mullen's post-game comments. He talked about this earlier. A few things stood out from this post-game press conference. If you didn't watch this on SEC Network when it, it was, was being broadcast live, it was like some WWE stuff. You, you, I was I was writing a story, and I'm like, all right, I need to be able to hear every last word. The guy's of voice who was like, did you, <gasps> did you see what happened with uh, the Marco Wilson? Don't no, no, it was the... the I'm not hating his voice. The way he said it was so like the like the comedic timing of every single thing that was said there was absolutely hilarious. Because like Mullen's trying to like skate around the questions. Like I didn't see it. I didn't see it after just saying he saw through the fog with like the field goal kick or something like that. And then and then like he's like I, I didn't know it was a fight. I mean, what happened? He's like he threw a shoe. It was like, <laughs> like <laughs> shout out to Edgar Thompson, the Orlando Sentinel reporter who covers Florida, who's a really really nice dude and does fantastic fantastic yeah. work. And had the guts to awesome. actually ask that question too in that yep. moment, which not a lot of people are doing. I always laugh at when I always laugh when like something like that happens and somebody asks Dan Mullen a question about the offensive line play. It's like, what, what are you doing? Yep. What, what in the world are you doing right now? Who's this for when you're when you're asking a question like that? But right. Dan Mullen's post game comments. First of all, he said he didn't know that throwing a shoe was a penalty. That's um, fair. I don't think that, that that probably isn't verbatim in a rule book. No, but throwing a player's equipment twenty yards. Yeah. Um, it was immediate. Like if you were watching that game, you knew in real time that that was going to be flagged in two seconds, right? What was the What was the line from the Hangover? I don't think we can say it because it's a 
PG-13 show, but when Alan was like, no, it's like... Thanks a lot, yourself. <laughs> yeah, pleasing yourself on an airplane. It's not illegal. It's frowned upon. Uh, thanks a lot, Bin Laden. That's, that's, that's what he was basically going for. It was so it's interesting to see that. And look, I get it. It's not like Dan Mullen is gonna say in the final two minutes of game or the final three minutes, hey guys, remember, don't throw a shoe right now. No, that should not have to be said. <laughs> but I you can guarantee that's gonna be brought up and it's gonna be shown in some locker rooms moving forward. Like, hey, you know, you guys get a group tackle, something like that. Make sure you don't take the guy's shoe and throw it twenty yards through the air because that's gonna be a penalty. Um you know, that's just that's gonna be something that's brought up maybe once or twice. Then it's what he said after was what raised some eyebrows. And we need to kind of break this down because there's points with it that I totally agree with. And then Mm -hmm. there's some irony to it. He said that it's, he was asked the question about whether or not he believed two loss Florida would be worthy of a playoff spot if it were to beat Alabama. And of course we heard on the broadcast, Sean McDonough, said that Dan Mullen told he and Todd Blackledge before the game that, yeah, like if they lose, if Florida loses to LSU and beats Alabama, they're still going to be in. And Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge were both like, uh, no, <laughs> like, what are you, what are you talking about? This, you can't lose to this LSU team for a no. second loss and then expect to get in as great as that Alabama loss would be. So then he was, Dan Mullen's asked this question afterwards from Edgar Thompson about, you know, having the two losses. And then Mullen goes into this, Hey, you know, it seems like, it seems like we're getting punished for playing games, and what was of the course, quote, so we don't we don't misquote him. But it was it was basically like, you know, we've played ten games. Um, I, we need to do like a transcript of it. But it's like I, we played ten games. I, you know, I guess you know we should have played less games because apparently that's they're rewarding that in college football this year. Like, listen, this what he said is not dissimilar than some of the stuff that we've said, some of the rants that I've gone on, and I told y'all after the A and M loss that that. Dan Mullen handled that loss then and handles losses in general, I think, the way I feel like I would. Like, like it is just it's absolute petty. emotional petty. responses, petty, and, and overreacting to everything because you're upset in the moment. And, and I, again, I totally understand why. But my God. It, go ahead. That quote. Just so that we have it correctly, he's asked about two loss Florida if it were to win the SEC championship mm-hmm. and its playoff chances. And he said, I don't have a vote on that. I'm not in the room. I know we've played 10 games, so I guess probably the best thing to do would have been play less games because you seem to get rewarded this year for not playing this year in college football, end quote. Okay. He's right to a certain extent. Like He's going to come off as the petty sore loser, and I get it. Look, all you got to do is beat three and five LSU, and then you're not having having to defend that. So from that standpoint... It's like, okay, you're going to be the guy to come out and say that and say, well, I guess we shouldn't have played at all. It's like, no, 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 you should win as a 24-point favorite against right. a team that has 54 scholarship players, against a team that's starting a true freshman quarterback, against a team that doesn't have its best offensive player and has had everybody else under the sun know, stop, stop even saying that. Like, start putting, like, and this is what I think a lot of fan bases don't understand, too, because it's easy to sit there and it's like, they should have beaten this team who only had this, and they're only doing well at this. You, yourself, your team has the Heisman front runner, the one we've been talking about all season long, about like why he should win the Heisman and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is the most explosive offense. I tell you what, this also goes back to the testament about the programs. Do you remember what he said at halftime going into the, going into the locker room? He threw Kyle Trask under the bus. Well, I didn't, I didn't really get that part of it. But he, he said, they asked the question about like, you know, why are you guys not like 
what's going wrong? Like, how, you know, what's, what's the issue, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I mean, how many yards do we have? He's like, 340. He goes, that's, I mean, that's pretty good last time I checked. And I was like, you're losing at, at, at halftime to a, to a terrible team. And your response is, how many yards do we have to defend yourself? Like, that's not what wins games, Dan. And I don't, I, does he know that? He finished with, his offense finished with over 600 yards. But he called them out and said that offense was to blame for that loss. The, the comment that I think a lot of people are going to dissect for the next week or so up until Selection Sunday leading up to that is, are we rewarding teams for not playing games? And obviously, we've broken down the Ohio State thing a lot. And Florida yeah. is a team that has played twice as many games as Ohio State. And there is a precedent for this moving forward about what it means to actually play games versus what it means to just be ranked highly in the preseason and to avoid all of those major tests. Now, obviously, it's not like Ohio State said, yeah, we're strategically only going to play five games, and they were the ones who made this decision. Um, it's No, we, we can't go down that road because, yes, the Big Ten is to blame. The Big Ten is to blame. Yep. The Big Ten is the one who's trying to create the best possible playoff path for Ohio State. It wasn't just Ohio State banging the drum saying, we will only play a five-game schedule. Right. Having said all of that, and look, I get it. And I'd be frustrated too if I was the team yeah. that had to play twice as many games and you had the commissioner who wasn't willing to cancel those final weekends of games, unlike the ACC where you saw those games canceled, Notre Dame's idle, Clemson's idle, and meanwhile Florida is playing in this game where it feels like, well, hey, we've already clinched it, why couldn't our commissioner yeah. do that? Of course there's going to be a feeling like that. The irony, of course, is that people in a normal year criticize the SEC for only having the eight-game conference schedule. And yep. for the other leagues who play the nine-game conference schedule to then say this in a year like this when every other year they are playing more conference games, it looks a little bit petty. It looks a little bit heat of the moment. It yeah. looks like something that Dan Mullen was frustrated and once again maybe didn't compose himself in the way that he thought he would. I don't know if Dan Mullen makes that comment on a Wednesday. I think it's different after a loss. I just do. I don't know. I mean, but like, I, you're right. Like, I, I think it's sure it's different from loss. And like, I'm not, I wasn't mad about what he said at all because, I, like I said, it's, I think it's it's interesting, very similar to the stuff that we've said. And and and, and I honestly, I was t banging this drum well before the like, you know, for the past month or so that they should not play these games. And I like, listen, if you're a Florida fan, if you're a Bama fan, and we've seen, I said this before, you have everything to lose and nothing to gain from this game. Right and like like it, what an incredible moment for LSU and that did kind of change my mindset on it a little bit because it really was awesome watching like that moment those kids will for, like remember forever and like this massive underdog in a year right? of crap to have a moment like that right. kids won't forget that absolutely and so and the, and PB even said afterwards he's like this proves that all the games matter they should be played I still I don't necessarily agree with that and I totally understand the frustration from from Florida fans okay, the first play of the Bama game the starting middle linebacker Christian Harris you know a, a Buckus Award finalist goes out yeah and, and so i was like i was like, shouldn't have played any of these games at all and, and if you're doing what's best for your conference i still stand by that i i, I get it but that's not again that's not what lost the game I, I think he has every reason to be pissed though i mean like i, I would be i mean like this, it kind of reminds me of, did you watch the documentary the 92 sec championship game when it was like the first yes. year of this mm -hmm. okay and they were talking about how they're worried about how the sec championship was going to be cannibalism and it was going right. to eliminate one of those teams and spurrier was like no this is going to be great for the conference yep right and, and the first thing that happened was um what do you call like, like going into that game like i think florida was eight and three or something like that and like they they 
you know, they ended up like almost upsetting Bama, and they would have lost a ton of money, and it would have backfired in their face, all that kind of stuff. Shout out Shane Matthews. Yeah. So this this situation was pretty similar to what happened, and and I I again, I hate it for Florida fans to like to have your entire national championship like hopes like gone because someone threw a, a, a size 12 Nike is pretty upsetting, but you still got to take care of business. And, and you know, like hindsight, you should have, I, I still think they probably should have canceled the games, but yeah, I, I Mullen reacting that way. I, I would have expected, I, I didn't expect less from him, but I would have expected more criticism on, on Grantham because I thought Grantham was, was the reason that a, a lot of this was happening. I mean, like there's just, there's just no reason to be blitzing double cornerback blitzes. I don't think I've ever seen that besides an NFL blitz or Madden. Bizarre. And Florida fans, if you're looking for some sort of silver lining, by game's end, even if Florida had won that game, you would have said, you know what, it's going to end in a week anyways, our national championship hopes. We're going to lose to Bama. This is going to be an offense that's going to torch our our poorest, oftentimes suspect defense. And I, I think that... Still, though, losing in this way, it just hurts. It stings in a different way, in part because it's a rival, in mm-hmm. part because you're a 24-point favorite, and it feels like you got the rug taken out from under you. And to lose in that fashion where you're now going to be a punchline for so many other teams, even Georgia fans who lost to Florida, and they're going to have to deal with that, that's that's reality. But that's reality when you get to the big time. And like I wrote, I wrote about this shameless plug about this kind of showed, this game showed that Florida is not ready to be on that level yet. Think about, think about the fact that, and I know like it's unfair to just compare everybody to Bama. Bama is a, a different sort of standard, but like Bama is the team that, as I've said before, they haven't lost to a team ranked outside of the top 15 in 10 years. They haven't lost to a team ranked outside of the top 15 at home in 13 years, since right. year one of the Saban era. And LSU handed Florida both of those things last night. So that that's part of it. And so if you're a yeah. Florida fan looking for a silver lining, that's it. But Kyle Trask, did he lose the Heisman? It is now setting up more so, obviously, for Mac Jones, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith, who only had 22 scrimmage yards in the first half of that game, was very quiet from a receiver standpoint, but had the punt return touchdown. And then Mac Jones doesn't have a passing touchdown in that game. Go figure out. This is on a day in which Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields were not in action. Yeah. Everything was set up for Kyle Trask to have this, like, hey, you know, this big four-touchdown game against this secondary. Go figure that our favorite color announcer, Dan Orlovsky, said it during the oh Bama game. God. He had this quote that was just so, like, it was just wrong. He yeah. said, because he's comparing Mac Jones to Kyle Trask for the Heisman, and he said, well, it's not like Kyle Trask is going to be, you know, 15 touchdown passes ahead of Mac Jones. And this was in, like, the third quarter of that game, and Mac Jones still didn't have a touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Kyle Trask was... 14 touchdown passes ahead of Mac Jones. Right. So all Kyle Trask had to do was have a four-touchdown day, which he's done like almost every game Seven this year. Seven times in nine games. And then he would have had 15 more touchdown passes yep. and Dan Orlovsky would have you know, done a typical Dan Orlovsky thing. But the question is going to be, how are we going to look at this next week? Yeah. The odds, by the, t- by the time people are listening to this, the odds are going to be different. We're going to know a little bit more. Does Kyle Trask have any sort of path to the Heisman yeah. in, in a... In a and a Florida loss, I mean. Is, is that gone, or is it just oh, up to a Florida Oh, to Bama? Yeah, yeah, does Kyle Trask have to win, have to take down Alabama in order to win the Heisman Trophy? He absolutely does. Yeah. Um, and that would be, like, the, the biggest, you know, the most redeeming thing that could happen, I think, for especially after this weekend. Um, yeah, like, I, I think he, he still has a path for sure. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I, I mean, I don't either. I don't either, yeah. 
It was it was amazing to me yesterday because like like I even said I was like man this has to be tough for Bama fans watching this like that think Mac Jones should be the leader for Heisman because you know not having a touchdown pass he went twenty four of twenty nine for two hundred and like eight or two hundred nine yards right he was so, okay yeah, I mean the completion wait seriously or kidding no I mean I thought that there were some throws that he left on the field I thought he got kind of bailed out by it was a, it was definitely targeting don't get me wrong yeah. but that that could have easily been a, a pick six going the other way it did some things that like. Typically, you don't necessarily see Mac Jones do in terms of some of the downfield stuff. And it was a lot of check down. And he wasn't necessarily attacking in the same sort of way that we've seen from him. But that's also a credit to the Arkansas defense and what they were doing to him. But I, I, I mean, thought he was okay. He's looked a lot better at times this year. Sure. I think he, he checked down throughout most of the day. And the big thing, like the yards thing especially, I was cracking about this because people are like, he only has 200 yards against Arkansas. And, and like the side-by-side comparisons are all over social media and, and all that kind of stuff. Alabama's starting or average starting field position was 40, the forty-five yard line. Like how how many? Yeah. Like the week before, I remember this stat, and I forgot to even mention it on here. But like the the week before, there was a stat they said like halfway through like the second quarter or something like that, and it was about like what like some stat where the maximum potential amount of yards you would have, right? And and it's like like however many like where your average starting field position is and how many yards you got. So like the percentage of the like. The percentage of yards you gained versus how many you could have gained from like your starting position mm-hmm. to to uh, goal to go, and Bama was like at a hundred percent, a hundred percent in the first half of that game. At one point, there there weren't really many opportunities for that. I I just like Mac Jones should have been the Heisman frontrunner anyway, but I think that's a poor argument against them. We saw what like you know throwing for a lot of a lot of yards can do for you because it didn't win you a football game against a three and five team. Yep. Um, but like the fact that. Mac also handed the ball off and like three times to a backup running back the last game for the regular season. I I, I just think it, you know, I, that argument should be used against them. I think it's time that we start looking at other people like Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, you know, the kid from Iowa State. Like, there's there's several people that deserve to be in the discussion. Yeah, uh, go figure that the ACC canceling that game. Trevor Lawrence could have had a huge day for his Heisman odds, and I'm I'm not saying that he would have definitively moved into that that top spot, but that would have been a a hey, we should be considering Trevor Lawrence more than Trevor if Trevor Lawrence were to beat Notre Dame, mm-hmm. he could be ultimately set up for that, but instead that did not happen. This is going to go down as um, Doring said it was the most embarrassing Florida loss he can remember. And is it worse than I, the dog pee? Well, for for Florida, for Florida, just in terms of SEC losses, it's going to be up there. It's going to be up there. And, you know, maybe there'll be some sort of weird vindication if Florida gets blown out by Alabama to say, hey, this team wasn't going to be on that level anyways. And yes, even if that does happen, we're still going to remember Marco Wilson throwing a shoe into the Gainesville fog. Just an unbelievable thing. Never boring. Never boring. No. Um, real quick, we hit on a, a few of these Bama points, but um, just wanted to bring up a couple of things related to this game against Arkansas. Alabama should be in the playoff. And I said that yeah. before the day before the day concluded, 10-0, and won every game by at least 15 points. I went back and I compared Alabama's 2020 regular season to LSU's 2019 regular season against SEC competition. Points allowed per game against the SEC, or points per game against the SEC, mm-hmm. rather. Alabama, 49.5. LSU, 47.1. Keep in mind, that's the LSU offense that scored more points than anybody in college football history. Points allowed per SEC game. Alabama, 16.8. LSU, 25.5. Average margin of victory per SEC game. Alabama, 32.7. LSU, 21.6. SEC wins by two scores or less. LSU at three. Alabama at one. So... 
Oh yeah, you I did, get so it. You had that. You had I that, had that mixed up. I had that yeah, mixed I was like, up I read that when I wrote this down like, here. What the hell is happening yeah. here? Um, yeah, like it's an incredibly, incredibly impressive uh, regular season for Bama. I, I think, obviously, and. and um, I think at this point, I said a, a while ago, I didn't think if they lost the SC Championship, they should be in. I think now they probably should be in, just from what we've seen. Yep. I mean, the best the best description of what I saw yesterday, because 12 o'clock start, 11 a.m. in Central Time, obviously. But somebody had the quote, they were like, Bama sleptwalked through a 52-3 to win. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I think what we're learning more and more about some of these other teams that have a lot of talent, have great coaches, have, have great players and Heisman frontrunners, all that kind of stuff, it's hard to play with a target on your back. It's really hard to play with the target yep. on your back sometimes, and and you know it, it's it it was an incredible season. I'll say that. Since the Ole Miss game, the debacle defensively, where everybody is saying Alabama doesn't have a defense, it's wide open. Alabama has played in seven second halves. They have allowed two total touchdowns in that stretch. I keep in mind that's said, what. Yeah, good. Combine that with the fact that Alabama has gone into the halftime with an average of a 17-point lead. And then consider that. And consider just how dominant that is when you add those two things together. I don't get what the if there is an anti-Bama crowd at this point saying that Bama's <laughs> is, not in yeah. the playoff yet. If there is, it's just because they have Bama fatigue and they simply yeah. haven't been paying attention. If you want to say the conference championships matter and you want to tell me that Iowa State with two losses, one of which being a 17-point home loss mm-hmm. to the raging Cajuns at home in which they got blown out, I think that's ridiculous. And I think Bama yeah. is absolutely in. And yes, I think Bama would be in even if they lost to Florida by 30, and they suffered the worst well, defeat of the Nick Saban era, which that's a lot. will not happen. Get that out there. I would hope it, not. I, it I, won't I, happen. I heard this argument yesterday doing the Facebook Live going into the afternoon, which was Bama's defense is trash. And, and I think a lot of that is because of that one game. It's because of the, totally. the Ole Miss game. Um, and I'm looking at it now, what I saw yesterday especially, I think that that team is starting to peak on defense. Um, eight sacks. I mean, eight Christian sacks. Christian Barmore held... was in the backfield every like every other play. It seemed like yeah, they they had. I mean, God, um, that freshman is going to be an absolute monster, uh, like, just an absolute monster. But the fact that you know you you have eight sacks, you hold Arkansas to under two hundred yards. I thought they at least have like some yards, maybe some points, three total points. I mean, very very impressive. Um, yeah, I I think that it's it's. Probably kind of a scary situation, I think, for the rest of the teams that have to play moving forward. It's unbelievable to think that at halftime of that game, and I tweeted this out, you look up and you're like, wow, held Mac Jones to 7.1 yards per attempt. Devontae Smith has 22 yards from scrimmage. Najee Harris has 3.3 yards per carry. And it was 38-3 to at half? Yeah, Um, yeah. that, That game was exactly why Alabama has developed into a complete team. And if there's anybody still saying that, oh, it's just, Hit a 47 you know, a yard Google. I mean, they've got one of the most reliable kickers in the country. Will Reichert is, is the anti-Alabama kicker. I mean, yep. Alabama has a kicker. That I, I realize that in typical man. championship years, that's not been the case. But, man, if Alabama's kicking field goals now, goodness gracious. Yeah, I mean, forget I about Jesus, it. Let's talk about some other games. Okay, let's talk about some other games. Um, oh, one last thing real quick. Notre Dame has five wins by 14 points or less. That's half of their schedule. Alabama, zero. Zero. Yeah, yeah. JT Daniels making Georgia fans a little bit sadder about 2020, but very, very excited about 2021. 
Very so I would have phrased that, Connor. I think the, the biggest thing is that they were probably pumped about 2021. Yeah, so we had uh, our, our buddy Perry, a diehard UGA fan, Texas in the middle of that game, and he says, quick, someone tell me something to temper my 2021 expectations. And I told him, I said, the defense is going to lose a ton, which it, yeah. it definitely is. It definitely is. This is going to be, though, at the same time, while that's going to be true in Georgia – you know, as they always say, they reload. They have a ton of dudes. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to watch, you know, a guy like Jacoby yeah. Dean. Uh, watching some of these guys get more snaps, some of these young guys who maybe haven't been in that role, Nolan Smith, another one of those guys. It's going to be fun. I agree. It's going to be a different kind of preseason hype because yeah. it's centered around the offensive skill players. And you know this better than I do. Maybe it's not quite 2008 where they're not going to be number one in the country or something like that. But is when was the last time where it was at all three positions. And it wasn't just a great Georgia back who was coming back, but it was quarterback, running back, wide receiver. And if you want to include tight end with Darnell Washington and possibly Eric Gilbert, who's getting yeah. a little bit of a sign from Kirby Smart when you throw three straight passes to the tight end of, hey, we throw to the tight ends, and Kirby mentions that after the game, maybe you want to have that tight end as well. When right. the hype is centered around those guys, is there is there a year in which you can kind of go back and say Georgia hype was like what it is with those guys coming back? I mean, 2008 is the obvious one. Yeah. Um, 2000, I mean, like you look at like 2014, 2013, That's... some of those, some of those years when you had like not really at receiver though, because you didn't have uh, a go-to guy. Like you had some good guys end up becoming good pros, but not really a go-to. You know, go win you a, a 50-50 ball or, or or go take over a game. You had the running backs, obviously. But yeah, I would I would think that 2013 has to be the one. And maybe you have Murray. Murray's a senior, yeah. and then you have, you know, but like the receiving core was, was awful. And I think they were pretty decimated injuries. Uh, but Gurley as well. Gurley as yeah. well that year, too. But it, you're right, because it always does seem like there's one piece missing from yeah. this Georgia team, which is like, you know, you know, also 2002 when they had David Green, you had um, Gibson, and you had, uh, um, and Terrence Evers, too. But um, I think Gibson was there in 2002, maybe in 2005. But either way, you also had Musa Smith. Like those were, um, that might have been one. This, this, they always seem like they're missing one piece. Like yeah. the 2013 thing is a perfect example. Um, 2015 is a perfect example because you have Nick Chubb. You, you, I forgot who's a receiver, but I feel like you had guys there. But you had, you know, Grayson Lambert at quarterback. This, this will be, I, somebody asked me yesterday, like, what should my expectations be going next year? And I, I know I make fun of Georgia fans for this every year, and, and we bring it up. And I'm the idiot that said that they, they, they were going to make the playoff, even with Setson Bennett. I, I, I can't help even, as a fan, not a fan of this team, Thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be <laughs> like this, this. That's gonna be the year. Like that's gonna be the year. And I and I get you said they're losing, uh, you know, so many pieces on defense, but they lost most of those pieces on defense this year because of injuries. So you have so many young players that still are gonna be back, and even more five star talent you're bringing. I mean, like like Keely Ringo didn't play at all this year. Yeah, that's I mean, good. Point. Number that's one good quarterback point. in the country. Like they're they are gonna be loaded, especially in the back end of that defense. I think having an offense with like actual explosive players and, it's a different and, and kind of hype kirby taking his hand off of that maybe a little bit more and and, and letting them do their thing that's going to be a big piece of it but I, I it's hard not to think our our buddy michael wayne bratton said he he thinks they're gonna be preseason number one i think they're gonna be preseason top four and i think a lot of this and kind of the thing that we lose sight of a little bit is and by the way uh georgia rolled in this game against mizzou we should probably like bring that up by now everybody knows that but um, that, that's why we're having this conversation because you see these tweets and you see the excitements because the future is promising because mm -hmm. 
Uh, and by the way, just in case you didn't know, like if, for those listening, you're like, was it just all about JT Daniels? No, no. it's JT Daniels. It's George Pickens who, do you know how many- George Pickens. One, how many 100-yard games though? Real quick, this is a stunt marler. How many 100-yard games did George Pickens have before today, or before Saturday? Like maybe four or five? I think five. He had one. Look, this year it's overall. In his career. Before he this, one overall. Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl. That's it. Yeah, and I, Baylor, well, I thought that was wow. That's weird. That's it. So like George Pickens, obviously, when he does that and he goes off and he has this hundred yard game, of course, people are talking about the future. And Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton, Darnell Washington, and possibly Eric Gilbert. We're gonna keep and throwing the that in there. Fastest kid in the country last year was it Aeneas? Not Aeneas Smith. Uh, I can't remember his name. Demetrius, Demetrius Robertson? No, no, no. He's no, a senior. He but... also might be coming back. But they had a freshman from Florida this year, ran like a 10 2 200. He was the fastest kid in America. Yeah, I'm blanking on his name right now. But you're, you're right in that there's, there's talent. And the thing to remember, though, that I think we're going to lose track of a little bit, and it's a key, key element to this whole mm-hmm. deal. And I don't think Georgia fans would have been saying this a month ago, but they're saying it now. You got to keep Todd Munkin. You got to keep Todd Munkin because we're seeing now what this offense looks like when it's supposed to work. And it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of that game where Georgia still did a very Georgia thing and it ran for 316 yards. Mm -hmm. And they gained over 600 yards of offense against a Mizzou defense that we've praised. And look, you had Nick Bolton. You have this this group that looks like it's kind of coming into its own. And and you go out there and it's 14-14. You're like, all right, maybe Mizzou's going to hang around. This is kind of what Mizzou's done all year. And then they scored 35 straight points. And you're like, oh, yeah, Georgia's got that that next level that they did not have a month ago. Yeah. I, I wrote in, like, the weekly article we do that it was going to be close. I said it on here, too, because I, I thought it would be. That 11 a.m. kick in Como, that ended up even being wrong because, I mean, they got out to a 14 0 start like that. I mean, They, like, they, was, they were not rusty. There was not a sleepy no. start by any stretch. Yeah, they, they, but, they got after it. But the fact that, um, you know, it, it, like, when we posted the picks or whatever, like, for social media – Admittedly, I changed my pick because we all would have had the exact same picks for every game. And so I put Mizzou, they were going to win. Um, and, like, you know, I figured I'd catch some heat for it. I was really pumped about that. Right? With like a minute and a half to go in the first half, and I was like, oh boy, like this, like, this would be an incredible, incredible win. Eli Drinkwitz is going gonna to seal up the Coach of the Year award. And then George, this was exactly what, we, what I thought Georgia was going to be. And I think a lot of their fans thought they were going to be this year because, I mean, like 49 to 14, the scoreboard, 650, you outgained them by 400 yards. You did was, whatever you wanted to do. And that's a, a yeah. team that had been pretty good. They blocked really well, too. And some of those holes yeah. that Samir White's running through, you're just like, oh my gosh, he can run. That's, he can run for days through, through some of that yeah. stuff. My one question, and if you are like our buddy Perry and you want those expectations tempered just a bit, here's the one thing I'll throw out there. Is Georgia, who has had a very favorable post-Florida schedule, and we've praised Mizzou. Mizzou's a decent team, but standing toe-to-toe with that Georgia team when they're clicking like that, obviously not an easy thing to do. Is Georgia doing the Butch Jones era thing that, that happened at Tennessee where you'd see them catch fire late and you see all this preseason hype and you can kind of look at a couple of these skill, a few of these skill players and say, oh, this thing is going to be rolling. Obviously, Tennessee doesn't recruit like Georgia. But is there right. any part of you? I just, I, I'm not saying that this, is defi- that this has definitely happened, but we are still sort of bypassing the fact that Kirby Smart with this defense that was mostly healthy for its two biggest games of the year was absolutely torched 
on the back end by Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. And this was still a defense that struggled and it struggled in its last three games against teams that had actual good offenses. Yeah. I realize the, the argument against that is, well, now Georgia has an offense that can actually go toe-to-toe with that. That's all well and good. But are we are we getting a little bit too caught up in the moment at all with some of this stuff? I mean, probably so, yeah. Because it, 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 you said Butch Jones, it almost reminds me more of of uh, of Tennessee last year to an extent. Like they're obviously a lot better hmm. of a team, but like, yeah, they closed with the worst possible. I mean, they closed with, with they didn't get Vandy, but who they had? They had Kentucky. We got Vandy next week, so I don't think that game's gonna happen. Um, what was the other, what was the other game? So they had Mississippi State as well. South they won Carolina. that game. And South Carolina, yes. Yeah. So I, I, I like, they have every right to be excited. I, 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 I totally understand that, and they should be because this offense has looked great. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, like, they've played lesser competitions I, I, or lesser competition. I, I think it's easy to look at that Florida game and, and bring up the injuries because that they were missing, like, half the defense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's still a lot of yards to give up, sure. The Bama game is a little, a little bit more concerning. I'm not just saying that because of my ties, because you had you were fully healthy, you had a lead, you were doing everything you wanted with Stetson Bennett. Like Stetson Bennett had a good first half. You know what I mean? Like I mean, he was he, you know they they were they were throwing the ball, they were averaging over five yards a carry. That would I mean the, the question is not is is the talent there to beat whoever and 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 you know get over that hump. It's is Kirby going to make the right in game calls and, and decisions to yeah. win a football game for 60 minutes? So. It makes you wonder just about um, what this team would look like against a variety of teams, yeah. not not just within the SEC, but across college football, and who would line up and beat this version of this Georgia team. Jordan Davis back, by the way, I thought oh, yeah. was key as well for that team. Let's do one thing I liked and one thing I didn't like about Vandy, Tennessee, and Mississippi State, Auburn, because if you watch these games, God bless you, you're a diehard SEC fan. Yeah. Even if you're a fan of one of these teams, that was a grind. I mean, watching watching oh. Vandy, Tennessee the, as the only SEC afternoon game. I know Army name is on. I get it. I get it. Everybody's probably watching. That was a 15, fifteen to nothing game. Right. Right. Still, uh, the afternoon slate was just oh. abysmal. It was terrible. I hated it. Um, Army Navy, by the way, just needed to have its own date by itself. No other yeah. games going on. I, I don't want it. I don't want that That's sandwich. How it always used to be. I know, I know, and I get even in 2020, they're having to adjust. Put it on, put it on like a Friday night or something like that. Put it on a no. Sunday. Put put it on like a, a Sunday morning. What are you about? Here's here's what we need to do for Army Navy. Put it on like because we weren't getting the overseas games this year for the NFL. Uh-huh. Put it before the NFL game Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Everybody watch. Why don't that you game. just give it its own Saturday like they do every? What are you talking about? They, they do because they couldn't give it its own Saturday this year because of the way the yeah. schedule was condensed because of the bowl, moving into to bowl season and all that stuff as well. In, in a normal year, obviously I like it, but I'm saying just in 2020, yeah. it would have been nice if they would have had that sort of creativity to it. Fair. But anyway, Vandy, Tennessee. <laughs> The one thing I liked, Sarah, Phil- Sarah Fuller making not one, but two extra points. Drilled yep. him. Absolutely drilled him. What, a, what an incredible thing to, to, to think about when everybody in the world is, well, not everybody in the world. A lot of people are watching that moment, and sadly, a lot of people are watching that moment hoping that she, so fails. she fails. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And all she does is step up and do, does something that all of us probably couldn't do if we had three or four tries and do, on, do once. And she comes up and she drink, she drills both of them. And right. I, I saw the people on Twitter, LOL, people are celebrating an extra point. Yeah, man, it's Vandy, all right? An extra yeah, point is worth I, celebrating in Nashville. So so just go chill. 
How come they didn't let her kick the the long one? Because that, that's they, like, not what, what she was there one. for. Like, yeah, like I, you're. It's just I just don't get it. Um, I mean, I do get it because I understand the reasoning why they're they're so mad, but like like not outwardly admitting it is the frustrating part. I, Teams that do that. My oh. One takeaway. What's yeah? I, I will say, I it was it was a really cool moment. She nailed it. it. Looked like she obviously had a lot more length on it than and she could do more than squib kick like everyone. Good from you know, thirty five. Yes, without a doubt, um, or thirty at least. But I, I will say. I didn't like the fact that after a 35 to 10 loss, she was once again the the person they um, interviewed in the post game presser. So my my one like or one thing I liked was was Harrison Bailey. Um, you know, completing I think he completed like 70 percent of his passes. That or was no, the am thing. I way off? No, Harrison Bailey had a great day. That was the thing yeah, I disliked. Okay. That was the thing I disliked okay. because Jeremy Pruitt subbing out Harrison Bailey when yeah, he was perfect. Was he gets off to a seven seven for seven start, and he's like, "No, nah, JT Shrop, come on in." And the whole reasoning for Jeremy Pruitt not playing Harrison Bailey earlier in the year was about confidence. We want to get his confidence high. It's Vandy, and he's rolling. So you sub him out? That's crap. That is absolute crap. And if I'm a Tennessee fan watching that, I'm realizing, oh, my gosh. We have no chance of having a quarterback situation unless Harrison Bailey just makes that year-two jump and takes off next year yeah you should always be worried about jeremy pruitt not understanding what it means to actually play quarterback and oh like hey a quarterback who's in rhythm is actually a quarterback who is gaining more confidence and if you play against vandy that's the only type of cupcake group of five like atmosphere that you can simulate in an sec only schedule and harrison bailey looked good why do you take him out why do you limit his snap count this is ridiculous i hate it so much it I knew before the before the game started when he said he was gonna start and uh and <laughs> he was gonna start and he said, But we're gonna rotate the guys still and, and it'll be quote a feel thing and I was like, Oh this is gonna be fun. Like this is gonna be real fun to watch. Um as much as much crap as I gave Kirby, yeah, he's way more terrifying than worse. quarterbacks. He's it's, worse. Mean, you know what's what's even more interesting too is that like and credit to him for, for you know, opening up the competition late in the season and not, like, I mean, he stuck with JG for obviously way too long, like the fans would say. But it's weird how it went from, all right, JG is our guy, over and over and over again. Like, like almost like no matter what he did, he couldn't fail enough to, to lose that starting job. To all of a sudden, you're, you're playing three guys and he's, like, he's not in the mix at all? I, I don't, that was... It's just weird. It's just it's just weird. The whole situation's odd. Um, yeah, but a great win for him. I was cracking up in the first half because, I mean, like they were resorting to trick plays, having like to, to pull ahead of Andy. Like it, it was it was not in question necessarily, but it didn't look good. Throwing trick plays to Henry Toto. That was cool. Um, cool play. Really cool play. Great moment for a guy who doesn't really get to carry the ball a whole lot. Yeah. But when Tennessee is busting out the fake punts and stuff like that so that it's not trailing to Vandy at halftime, um, it makes you wondering. Good for yeah. Tennessee because they got rolling. They got a comfortable Great win. Great second half. This six-game losing streak is gone. Congratulations, Jeremy Pruitt. You get to keep your job. Also, real quick, they did it in all three phases, which was cool. Special teams, yes, the defense stepped up in a lot of big ways. Um, it, it was That was an impressive part of it. Auburn-Mississippi State, what a great rock fight this was. Think The thing I liked, um, which slim pickings, boy, let me tell you, Gus Malzahn's dance moves. If you saw the video afterwards, good old Gus, back in his sweater vest, he got low. I mean, like, real, real low. Go watch the video Saturday on South.com. Um, I mean, that was... 
a little bit of a different side of Gus, and I get it. Look, he just capped off a solid regular season, six yeah. and four. He beat a two-win Mississippi State team. That's what you're supposed to do when you close out the regular season with a, a big divisional win. You cover the spread. Everybody's happy. You're feeling good. You scored 24 points. Your quarterback had 3.9 yards per attempt. That's what you're supposed to do. I, I'm going to say something that's going to shock you, and I didn't think the, the dance moves were that bad. They weren't, I didn't think they, they were, were good. They were good. Yeah, I was actually I serious about that. It was that, that. Bad, of, bad of a thing. <laughs> um, I mean, like, like for what it was, I mean, it was, it was like, you know, drunk dad at the prom being a chaperone and then for whatever reason deciding to like to embarrass his daughter. But still, like, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was that egregious. It wasn't like a Mac Jones type, or Mac Brown type thing. Um, Mac Brown's better. Mac Brown's got a, Mac Brown really stays, does. Mac Brown stays to what he knows though. It's, what, it's a this. stroke? What, like no 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 no, Mac Brown knows who he is as a dancer, which is the most key element of dancing in yeah. itself. When you're a a male who has no rhythm, which is many of us, right. and as long as you know what you're capable of. Whereas Gus, I mean, Gus got a little bit loose with it for sure, but it makes me kind of question. You get a couple cocktails and Gus at a wedding. What's Gus doing? <laughs> I mean, new Gus is is almost kind of back. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that's okay. a good point. Like, I, I would not have thought he would have been at the top of the, the dance uh, power rankings for the coaches, but, I mean, he's there. He's up there. He's certainly up there. You know, Saban does his Cupid shuffle. He stays in his lane. He knows what he's doing, and and Gus Gus gets down. thing I disliked about this game, Everything. We, we did not get a 3-2 to repeat, which I we needed that. If you were – it's shooting the moon. I, I was hoping that game was going to shoot the moon and just – achieve a perfect level of ineptitude on the offensive side of the ball. Two offensive minds, and you didn't know it. You didn't know it. You didn't know that no. those were uh, <laughs> two guys getting paid. <laughs> getting paid five million bucks. That's so good, yeah. I mean. Um, <laughs> that's the quarter of the year. That was good. Um, <laughs> you never would have known it. But, yeah, two of the best offensive minds in football. I, so my there was one peak performance out of this, and it was – absolute several times throughout the game peak Bo Nix there oh, there gosh. was a moment so so the way I had this set up was I was in our office and and I was watching um I, like we had LSU Florida on, on like the big screen that I had on the computer with no sound on I had uh the Mississippi State Auburn game so I could see both but I couldn't hear the time I, I heard some of, of Tom Hart you know at half <laughs> um and he was just miserable <laughs> But, but, uh, which was hilarious, but, but yeah, like there was one play. I remember I looked up at one point and like, I had like just like fired off a tweet or something. So I'd missed the play before it's, it's a replay and it's Bo Nix rolling out to his right. Like he always does. And he, and he goes out and, and he's like going further and further and further away from the field of play. Right. And then at the last second before he goes out of bounds, fires off this like rocket into the end zone. I was like, Oh shit, this, this is about to be a touchdown. It was a minimum. It was no. It was. It was like it would have been. It would have hit him in the chest if he was like ten yards, like further over to the right. Like it was. It was nowhere near anyone. It it was like. And then my other favorite part was it like later in the in the I think it was the second half or maybe maybe towards the end of the first half. um, I did have the sound on for this, and and he rolled out to his right once again, and no way. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, unnecessarily he rolls out to his right, and and Jordan Rogers goes see. And this is what makes him so dangerous. He can hurt you with his legs. He does, he can do so many things. And like as he's saying it, same exact situation. Ball sails out of bounds, minimum five ten yards away from everyone else. I was like, this is incredible. 
Like, that belongs in, like, his, like... That's, like, his Mona Lisa. Bo Nix setting his feet is... If you see it, you know, consider yourself lucky. It's yeah. the Haley's Comet of SEC football. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think his step count is after a game? His I step mean, he, count? Oh, my gosh, yeah. He had, like, he 400 has, on that one play. Rings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he definitely big, big-time ring closer on the he, old Apple Watch, for sure. Remember that, scene, remember that scene from Angels in the Outfield? And he's like, when are we going to be a family again? Like, I, I feel like that question posed to Bo Nix when he's like, Hey, when are you gonna set your feet and be the quarterback we thought you were gonna be? He's like, <laughs> when Vandy wins the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it it's not, it's just not great. It's not conspiracy great. It's not, theory. It's not progressed. Conspiracy theory. Bo Nix is one of those people that's really really into his Apple Watch, and when he looks down at games end, I realize he's not wearing an Apple Watch during the game. But they can yep. still track this stuff. They track this stuff in college basketball now, especially. Do they really? Yeah, they do. They track How the amount steps? of steps that you take. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, he's one of those guys that loves getting the notification. You just set a yep. record for steps for your move goal. Congratulations. Bo Nix, that is his high. It's not getting three touchdown passes on the road. He's The ship has sailed on that happening. No. It's looking down at his Apple Watch and being like, oh, yeah, I set a new steps record. Congratulations. I, I set a new move record. Oh, man, I'm feeling good. New exercise goal. I feel like that that's the equivalent for, like, overweight, like, middle-aged white women that's their fantasy football because like i couldn't care less about you like we, we have a thing at work and like we so we're doing this competition for the month we so you can get the most steps and i'm like i i don't care that's that's the exact same thing as oh my gosh like i like i barely lost fantasy this week it's almost the playoffs like no one cares at all stop talking about it wait where are you doing this competition you're an idiot can bo nix be part of it without a doubt yeah yeah he definitely went he had 2.1 yards per attempt through the first 40 minutes this game. <laughs> I look down at this box score and I'm like, come on. You're just hey, you're, you're just trolling me at this point. This is two Bo Nicks for Bo Nicks. Cool moment though with um with Big Cat Bryant and uh and, and him being able to uh get his degree awesome. the same day. Love that, that. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Love that. And love that Cole took the time to be able to say, What's what's your best day? And and for you know, for Big Cat Bryant seeing that was really, really cool. Glad for those yeah. Auburn seniors that they were able to make that work in a year of craziness. Um, all right. <laughs> Auburn, by the way, won that game and won by two yep. scores and covered. So congratulations, Auburn. Sunday apologies. Let's get to it. Well, we got the music. We got the music. Perfect. The music is still wrong. <laughs> Let's ahead. start with Bo Pelini. Let's start with Bo. Many a time I have sat in the same room as Bo Pelini in a press conference back in his Nebraska days, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to ask you a question because I like my head and I don't want it ripped off. So there's always been this kind of quiet fear I've had of Bo Pelini. I can admit that. I'm man enough to admit that. He allowed 600 yards of offense. 600 yards of offense in this game. I get it. But you sack Kyle Trask and you force him into turnovers. Bo Pelini dialed up a game plan that worked. And I never, ever, 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 ever thought I would be like, wait a minute, Bo Pelini just outcoached Dan Mullen? What? What, what, yeah. what year is this? Um, Bo Pelini's not keeping his job, don't get me wrong. But this this is a little bit of like a, hey, group of five school. Um, I can I still got it. And that, that's going to keep the interest level there. Defensive analyst, hey, you want a game plan against Florida? <laughs> Let me tell you. Bo Pelini's right. coming to a defensive analyst job near you for this game. Don't, mark my words. Georgia fans, 
Can I apologize to you? Because I feel bad for always saying that JT Daniels is draft eligible. Do you, though? Because you do it all the time, and then you just, instead of positioning it as they should look forward to next season, they can they hate this season. I, you're more of a troll against them than I am. Uh, Georgia fans, I love you. I do. I love all our fans. I do. I really do. And I'm sorry. I just don't want you. I don't want to see you guys hurt again if this happens. If JT Daniels announces full on at season's end, Look, y'all, I'm coming back. I'm good to go. Let's do this thing. Let's win a national title 2021. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be like, hey, let's get the hype train rolling. It's already rolling yeah. at full steam. Don't get me wrong. But I'll be that guy that's like, hey, now we can officially get excited. But I just don't want to see you get hurt. So I am sorry for putting that out there. As soon as it becomes official that it's not happening, I will take it. I will, we'll go back. We'll delete the. We'll bleep out all the parts where I said it. And we'll erase it from your memory that I ever went down that road, but I just, I'm sorry for, for pointing it out. So did you just go back on your apology and then? Uh, no, I'm about, uh, George fans, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that's all, that's all I got. Okay. Um, so LSU, first off, first and foremost, I, I owe you guys a, a big apology. Um, I roasted you guys uh, unfairly after, um, what happened after the Auburn game and, and saying you guys had quit on the season. And um, at the time, I really thought that's what had happened. I, I thought that going to a party afterwards or getting beat by 30, 40 points from an Auburn team um, was a sign that you guys had given up on the season. You got absolutely destroyed last week. You had players opting out before the Bama game, players opting out after the Bama game. Yesterday was awesome. It was awesome. And it was it it like it was fun to watch like everyone collectively pump the brakes on all the negative Coach O talk. Um, I, I, I thought it was an incredible game, and you guys proved me wrong, proved America wrong, and uh, and you you know what, like winning championships are fun. Um, I, I've never been the biggest fan of like winning like the Citrus Bowl. You know, it's more fun than that ruining someone's season, and you guys did that, and that is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Before um, early signing period too, significant. Yeah. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to apologize to you guys first and foremost. I'm not gonna apologize to Pliny because he's, oh yikes. Um, I, I, Florida fans, I have been all over the place with you guys because I, I first said that I think that, you know, I would rather play Georgia than Florida, and then I took that back, and, and now you have to really think about it. Like, I would would you rather play this JT Daniels Florida team or with Kyle Trask? I legitimately want to apologize to you guys for taking all that time to make those graphics and, and try to uh, let you guys know that Kyle Trask should be the the – um, Heisman Trophy winner, the front runner, all that good stuff. I uh, filled out my All-American ballot the other day. I had three players um, from you guys, like uh, three Florida players on, was it three or two? We got three first-team All-Americans from Florida. Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Trask. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, you know, I'm sorry that you guys are having to go through this. I'm also sorry that, like, the, the, the slight glimmer of hope that you guys had, and then just once you got that, that crack in the door, you busted it wide open all over social media, and... And I'm really sorry for what you guys are going to, have to go through with, with Georgia Twitter because it's going to be awful. It's going to be petty. Just remember, you guys beat them by two scores. You're a better team. Keep your Pace head up. In the home. Yep. I'm sorry that you guys are having to go through this. It's a, it's a tough end of the season. Um, who else do I have an apology to? I feel like there's one more. Uh, I think that might be it, though. There you go. Coach Joe, maybe? Yeah, that's good. Apologies to, to Shoes as well. Y'all deserve better. Y'all deserve to be on feet. Not thrown 20, 20 yards um, downfield. Yeah. Uh, shoes go on feet. That's what I've always been told. Always. Yeah. Let's get some SEC lines. December 19th slate. We have five games. Hey, SEC championship weekend. Thing. I did I not it's realize weird. that. Yeah. Like, it just blows my mind. 
Who knows what it's going to be in terms of opt-outs, all that stuff. Tennessee, Texas A&M. A&M playing a game in which um, you think it's going to have to have some big-time style points, but at the same time, it's like, well, how much can you really do by beating Tennessee in terms of improving your playoff resume? A&M will be a significant favorite for this one. I think a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, what an, I mean, like, what what is their mindset going into this? Like, this is going to be such an odd game now. It was already really weird. weird, but this is really weird. I, you said 20 and a half? Uh, 20 and a half, yes. I'll say 23 and a half. Okay. Bandy, Georgia, another big spread. Georgia's going to be a, at least a 30-point favorite, I think. Vegas loves JT Daniels. Mm-hmm. Georgia, 34-point favorite. Um... Yeah, I'd say I'd say well, it's thirty-seven and a half. Man, that'd be the biggest spread of the year. That would be the biggest. Well, spread weren't of they already Texas. favored by thirty-seven and a half against them a couple weeks ago? True, true. Good yeah. point. Was it? Wow, was that high? Mizzou, Mississippi State. Despite the fact that Mizzou just got waxed, I think Mizzou still has to be a road favorite. I think they do. Mizzou's I didn't, pretty bad on the road this year. I, I know, but still, I, th- I think they still have to. You still got Connor Bazelak. Um, I'm assuming Nick Bolton's going to be bull go for this game. I'm going to say Mizzou's two and a half point favorite against Mississippi State. Um, I was going to say three, but since you said two and a half, I'll change it. Uh, and we just saw an Auburn team that we thought would have blown them out, and did, they did cover, but they were only favored by six uh, on the road against Mississippi State. Um, Mizzou got blown out on the road by Florida, and uh, less impressively um, by by Tennessee early in the year. So I would say, I'm going to say one. Mm, could be. I, you know what? I was going to say three. I'll just go three. Okay. Stick with your gut. Ole Miss LSU, a game that is all of a sudden a lot more intriguing. A lot more intriguing. Yeah. Still think that Ole Miss is going to be able to do some things against this LSU secondary, who, again, allowed a ton of yards in this game. LSU is now going to be a favorite. And this was uh, one of these upsets when I did the Crystal Ball series that I predicted Ole Miss was going to go into LSU and win. And I got a lot of heat for that in the preseason. A lot of heat for that. Um, But I think LSU has to be a favorite coming off of the Florida game because LSU hasn't given up on the season. And so I think that makes LSU a slight, slight favorite, a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I can get with that. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll say six, and then my actually no, I'll say I'll say um, three. But my question to you: What's the over under? It's got to still be really high. It's got to yeah. still be really high. Even though the Ole Miss defense got Otis Reese a couple weeks ago, that is still a very porous defense that LSU with Max Johnson should be able to score some points again if they come out like they did against Florida. All right, speaking of Florida, SEC championship. A few lines have kind of come out for this, so we can kind of guess what the final line is going to be. We're going to have a it lot more coverage. Change, right? I, yeah, I would think so. I would think so. We're going to have a lot of coverage for this. We're actually just about to record a video that's going to come out this week. We're still going to have our usual picks for this game that's going to come out with a podcast that we're going to do related to signing day, related to all the non-SEC championship games. But we're going to have a, an SEC championship-specific mailbag podcast that is going to come out by the time that people are listening to this. We will have already recorded that. Alabama, Florida. I'm going to say that Alabama ends up Man, it's going to be higher than what I would have originally said. I think Bama's a 19-point favorite. 
I that's pretty I'll say 17 and a half but I mean yeah I think you're I mean it could honestly get up to 20 at this point because it's like it just I mean how I just I, I can't wait to see the total and the team total but yeah I'll say I'll say 17 and a half I just don't know what can come out outside of a last minute Mac Jones is um, is not playing in this game because of contact tracing or something like right. that. Devontae Smith is out because of contact tracing. I don't know what can happen in the week that won't yeah. favor Alabama. So I'd agree with that. Um, oh, I just checked it out, by the way. What is it? I don't want to tell you. Okay. I, I swear to God, I just looked at it. I, I swear That's to fine. God, it's 17 it's, and a half. Okay. There have been, there have been lines that are out, so that, that it's... Yeah. I won't. I won't call you out on that. But one. it did go. It did go up. Um, I mean, real quick while we're here, obviously Ohio State is a twenty-one point favorite. Clemson is a ten-point favorite over Notre Dame, which is interesting. So there's that. Notre Dame is sitting in a very, very favorable position now, especially after UNC demolished Miami. Mm-hmm. Don't underestimate the significance of that because UNC, a team that Notre Dame beat by two scores on the road, that win looks that much more impressive. Uh, playoff is set. I mean, they, the committee got exactly what they wanted. The, the committee, the committee didn't have to make those decisions until until later, and I think that they are. We are heading toward, and it could, maybe you never know. We are heading toward a boring selection Sunday, but mm-hmm. I am not going to come out and say that college football slate is pretty bleak. I'm not that yes, type of person. I'm not that type of person. College football site is going to be great next Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. It's loaded. We've got championship games that are being played. We've got playoff bids that are being locked in. We've got bowl games that are not really being decided. But it's football. It's football. Yeah. Let's not complain. Love it. Ton, ton of coverage coming down the pipe this week. Like I said, the video that we're doing related to the SEC championship, we've got an entire podcast devoted to early signing day, early signing period rather, and the non-SEC championship games. We will still do our SEC championship pick during that podcast. We have so much coverage on SaturdayDownSouth.com related to the SEC championship. We're going to be all over all things signing, early signing period. It's going to be great. And it's still a week in December in which we get to talk about football. So I'm not going to complain about that. Coach O. Coach O, you're Um, you're not soaking with Gatorade, but you're soaking with sweat and a little... Okay, Who are we even allowed to make fun of anymore with all these like these, these butthurt people they didn't review? It's just I don't, I don't even know where to go with Ooh, it. Close, uh, close it. Close, you want to close it through it? Oh, Connor, I know. Just, you go out there. You got to change quarterbacks. Like, 